Hello everyone, and welcome to the Quorum Podcast. This is where academic medicine meets remote, austere, and resource-limited areas. Today my guest is Dame Claire Birchinger. She spent many years working in disaster relief, mainly in war zones with the ICRC. She has an honorary fellow from the Dalai Lama Center of Compassion and many awards, five honorary doctorates. And Claire, you're the course director of the Diploma of Tropical Nursing for the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you very much for inviting It's Professional Diploma of Tropical Nursing. Is that what you said? Ah, that's right. I have to put a, a professional in there as well. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I, I keep using DTN, but I know officially I'm supposed to be putting B, uh, PDTN. So yeah, that, that's an administrative um, thing we had to put in. Oh, don't ask me why. So uh, is, is there going to be some fisticuffs coming my way because I don't put the P in front of the DTN? No, I, no, I always forget as well. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long have you been the course director? I've been the course director. I started in 1997. Wow. So and um, I was in, uh, and I had two years off in the in between. So since then, but with two years off in the year two thousand, something like that. So did you design this? Is this yours from the very beginning? Uh, not exactly. No, I used to lecture on the tropical diseases. It was called a certificate, and then this was developed from there. So I was one of the advisors for the. Uh, this one, this course, Diploma at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Wow. And then I've developed it from there. I mean, it has actually developed uh, tremendously, changed and uh, moved forward in as much as getting people who are now have to have a degree before they, they come onto it. So it's really highly qualified now, highly recognized throughout the world, uh, non-governmental organizations, you name it. It is world recognized. I, I was in Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center years ago and there were DTNs showing up. Sorry, B, PDTNs there, wow. as well as doctors who are doing the diploma of proper medicine and, and hygiene. That was my first experience and the level of professionalism and that piqued my interest. Uh, yes, throughout, throughout the world, I can arrive somewhere and they've done my course. I keep meeting people who've done my course. I can oh, imagine, yeah. yeah, 25 years. And now you've made it online, which opens up the world, doesn't it? It's been true. It's one of the positive things out of COVID. Within a week of COVID hitting us and having lockdown, we had to go online. And although at first people were a bit worried about how it would affect the course, it's actually, as you say, open to the world. Before that, it, because it's a part-time course, one day a week on a Wednesday, before that people had to come to London. So they had to be within commuting distance. And they might have been in Europe and commuted on the Channel Tunnel or flown in from Ireland. But nowadays they don't have to commute. And I'm touching the world, whether it's Gambia, Ghana, South Africa, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, um, Bangladesh. Um, I've got students in Sudan. I've got students in Niger. You name it. Um, it's absolutely amazing. And of course, now that mobile phones are more common than um, out latrines, uh, yeah. more people can access it. They can indeed. But no one has a normal phone in, in most of these countries. No. They, and, and, and they have uh, connections faster than we have in Ireland. I mean, Ireland, yes. uh, mobile coverage is rubbish. But that, that's um, that's been a profound change. And I was on the first program that was all 
virtual. The the program before mine, you had to do half and half, didn't it? You you started out, and that must have been a, a challenge. It was a challenge. I had uh, got the foresight to one of my lecturers because they're all top lecturers. He was on with the World Health Organization, and he'd just flown to Geneva for the day for a big conference about what was happening um, with COVID. And he flew in and he arrived to give the five o'clock lecture and he gave the lecture. And just before I said, so what's what's happening? What's Are we going to be locked down in Britain? And he said, yes, give it two weeks. By Easter, you'll be shut. We'll be shut down. Wow. So um, I went back to my office and started to learn about this thing called Zoom. <laughs> and how to teach and within two weeks. So when we were locked down on the Sunday, on the Wednesday, we were online. Wow. Mm. That is profound flexibility. Well, you learn flexibility when you're in the field, don't you? You do, yeah. You do. All of a sudden, you haven't got water. Well, you probably haven't got water anyway. Or the electricity goes out. Well, you still have to continue with the operation or cleaning wounds, don't you? And you, you adapt. I suppose learning Zoom is easier than trying to find clean water for cleaning wounds. But well, I wouldn't say that IT is the most easiest thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guys made it happen. I, I was so impressed. This is what I do. I teach online i teach classrooms in malta and i was so impressed with what you're doing and with the lab work with claire and you are world renowned and you learned it on the yeah. go that's really impressive we did we did and we tried to also make it friendly and relaxed as much as possible which is not always easy but uh, i hope we went some way to doing it like that i did see that and the whatsapp group is still active in my cohort and i'm, I'm hoping each group does a similar thing with the uh, connections and uh, li lifelong connections yeah that that's that's profound so tell me a little bit about yourself claire what what's what's your experiences in austere medicine how did you find yourself course director of, of the dtn yeah well um gosh i've had quite an eclectic life but i always wanted to be a nurse i trained as a nurse um and i specialize in accident and emergency i did a, I knew I wanted to work abroad uh, in, in a resource poor area, so I did the tropical nursing course. And, um, and then I was going to join um, a refugee camp in Cambodia. And two weeks before I was about to leave, uh, the place was, was completely leveled to the ground by bombing. So I had nowhere to, nothing to do. So I found myself sort of taking a, a train round Europe with a with another nursing friend just because we had nothing else to do and ended up with some relatives in Switzerland who said, um, why don't you join the International Committee of the Red Cross, the ICRC, with your background in accident and emergency, uh, tropical nursing, you'd be ideal for that. So I arranged to have um, an interview a week later. And in that time, because I didn't, I knew I had to learn a bit of French, and um, so my my family out there taught me parrot fashion, 10 phrases in French. And the one particular phrase which was important is, if you don't understand what they're saying, just answer, je donne le meilleur de moi-même quand je fais face à un défi, which means I give the best of myself when I'm faced with a challenge. So, you know, whatever they say, if you don't understand, just answer that one. And a month later, I found myself in Lebanon, in war-torn Lebanon. That was in 1983, during the Shouf Mountain War. Wow. I've forgotten, yeah, I've forgotten one thing before that. I actually, straight after nursing, I went on, um, I 
was in America, deadheaded cars in America, around America with a friend of mine. Um, and then went on the expedition Operation Drake in Panama, Papua New Guinea and Sulawesi. Uh, we worked in the tropical rainforest where they were doing scientific research. And I was the medic on that one, which I just loved. Wow. But, um, I didn't just, just wait for the injuries to come in because that was boring. It was just, you know, diary and things, nothing really exciting, as you might say. So I used to help the engineers build um, uh, a walkway, a scientific 100 feet up in the jungle canopy where they could study wow. the flora and fauna. Wow. So I did that for 18 months. Um, yeah, so I found myself in Lebanon. And in Lebanon with the ICRC, my role was uh, based in um, south of Beirut in a place called Saida. And at that time, it was controlled by the Israelis. And in any one day, I could cross the front line between Israeli-held areas, Sunni Muslim, Shiite Muslims, Druze militia, Christian-held village or Palestinian camp, and then back into my home territory, which at that time was in Israel. And although each time you had to cross the front lines, you had to range ceasefires. And you might say, you know, how did you do that? Well, I did it under the protection of the Red Cross, but it's not quite as easy as that. Yeah. Um, you first of all have to range ceasefires at the very high level, which is in New York, Paris, London and Beirut or wherever the head of each fighting faction is. And then um, as I used to, I can remember the first week I went up to the front line, you stop the vehicle or the ambulance that you're in, you get out. And I've got to meet these fighters who sort of come out of, of um, dugouts in the ground. They're filthy, dirty. They haven't eaten much. They're cold. Um, they're covered in bullets and grenades. And they've been shooting, killing people. They've got blood on their hands. And I think, well, how am I going to ask them to, to range a ceasefire? This, you know, uh, just me, you know, a little woman. And... Um, what hit me when I started talking to them is they started talking about wanting peace. We're actually fighting for peace, Claire. We want peace. It's, it's those over there that the baddies. Um, they're the ones who raped my wife, who raised my village to the ground. But we're good people. We want peace. And I found this really bizarre, this dichotomy between killing and, and torturing and, and wanting peace, fighting for peace. And eventually we arranged a ceasefire. They were usually several hours between, say, 10 and 12. Don't fight it, don't shoot in this particular area we're going through. And cross the front line, which, as many of your, your uh, fellow um, uh, students will know, is could be anything from a few hundred yards to a few kilometres wide. And... Um, to the other fighting factions who are the killers. And what you find, you find these really nice people um, who, although yes, they've been shooting and wanting to kill people, they actually want peace and they're fighting for peace. And wherever I want, went, wherever it was a different fighting factions, often it was due to some sort of um, religion of some sort, faith-based, it was encouraging them to fight, that they wanted, they wanted to have peace. And at that time, that's what made me think there has to be an alternative to war. But what is it? And that's when I started thinking about alternative to war and becoming a Buddhist. But mm. I'll talk about Buddhism later, if you want to. <laughs> um, and then after that, I found myself in 84, 85 in Ethiopia during the famine, which many of you, your students won't know about, but many will. Um, 
and that's when I was again in in a conflict area in the in the great north of Ethiopia, Tigray province. Um, lots of fighting, but I was there to set up a feeding centre uh, because there was no way any other uh, relief organisation was allowed in at that time. It was a communist regime at that time. Mengistu Haile Mariam um, was uh, the president and he wanted to celebrate his 10th anniversary being on, on the throne, so to speak. Um, so he celebrated it and he invited journalists into the capital, Addis Ababa. But the rest of the country where I was, people from the outside could not come in officially. Mm. Uh, we were in the village called Mekali, surrounded by the um, TPLF and the other fighting factions. And all these um, displaced people were coming in, starving, hungry, no food. And I can remember that one day there was uh, outside my feeding centre, I had 300 children at the time who got three meals a day. There was 10 lines of children and in each line there was over 100 children. That's over 1,000. And I had space for 60 or 70 new children to come into the feeding centre. But I only had, um, I, I knew all of those were malnourished and we didn't take the ones which were severely malnourished because we know, knew they would die within the next few days. So we took the ones which sort of had a spark of life in their eyes and we knew the rest would die within a week or 10 days. And that was the most horrendous situation that you can find yourself in. Wow, that's a tough choice. Mm -hmm. And then from then, oh my gosh, where have I been? I did some time working in Switzerland because I knew I had to learn French. So I chose a hospital nearest the ski slopes in a place called Sion. And so the ski accidents and the avalanche victims flew in by helicopter on the roof from Zermatt or Verbier or Consfontana. And that was really exciting and I learned a lot there, a bit different from tropical medicine. And then I found myself in oh, Uganda and I spent a year and then I spent a year in Afghanistan with the Mujahideen as well, doing the same thing, crossing the front line into the main fighting area. So at the time, uh, Kabul was controlled by the government and surrounded by the Mujahideen warlords. And I was the field nurse who crossed the front line each day to get to a first aid post it's about 25 kilometers north of Kabul. And again, I had to cross 12 um, warlord different uh, fighting factions. They were all Mujahideen, but they have their own area. So you had to range ceasefires again often with shells falling all around and some <laughs> patients um, crowded into the to the ambulance, which was then was a, a Toyota Land Cruiser, an extended one. Um, and I can remember one day we had 12 in one Land Cruiser. And although there's only two stretchers, each stretcher held two people head to toe. Uh, any small children were held in the arms on those on the stretcher. And I had three um, chest wounds who sat up front with me, even though there was only two chairs. We had three people, wow. they sat them up. Uh, I, I'm not as proud of that, but we had to get them out of the area because we never knew when we could arrange another ceasefire. And they were all really severely badly wounded in some way when they had their legs amputated by landmine or shot at or shells, mm. shell injuries. Wow. So that, yes, yeah, so I did about 10 years on and off with the International Committee of the Red Cross. And I left in a 94, um, I just, I spent two years 
in Geneva as the training officer there. And that's when I came back to Britain and decided to do a master's degree in medical anthropology. And then I got the job at London School of Hygiene Tropical Medicine. Done a few other things in between as well, of course. That's amazing. You've been in places where military would find it difficult and you were there as a peacekeeper and as a, an example of non-combatant, the power of non-combatant. That's really impressive. I think that's, that's, that's important to realize that um, I was in war zones just like uh, somebody holding arms, a military person. And in fact, I was probably more in the front line than most military people that have ever been. In fact, I was, I was told that um, by uh, some of my military friends, do you realize you've been longer in the front line than any of his, his fellow um, military people he knew? Because you're literally in, in the middle of it. Definitely. The majority of combat vets have not seen the combat that you have. Uh, and, and now with drones, which is the way forward, and yes. lasers, and what else are, am I going to say? Um, satellites and all that. Uh, you know, killing people is going to be even so much easier because you can't see the. the yeah. I have eyes. friends in Ukraine at the moment, and they're they're having that issue. It's all drones. Yeah. At the moment, but that's that's another conversation. So you transitioned into teaching. So tell me about the DTN and your experience with London School. Okay, so the London School of Hydrotropical Medicine, yes, we teach theory, but what I realize is that um, you can learn only so much theory, but then what happens when you're in the field, you've got a cholera ep epidemic and you've got no running water and no electricity and no antibiotics, how are you gonna survive? Well, I can come along and say, well, actually, when I was in Ethiopia, we had this cholera epidemic, we had exactly in that situation, and this is what we did. So we survived. So I can give the practical side of working in a resource-poor situation. Majority of, or nearly all, all my lecturers have had field experience as well in resource-poor situations. And that's what makes it so interesting and so vital to, to learn from them uh, as well. I did notice that, that the caliber of people you brought into my my DTN experience was, was top-notch. Everyone had recent clinical experience, which was fantastic. And I, I think what's fun is that all these different personalities, which is just like, like real life, and you get some of them that, that might um, study the life cycle of um, uh, tri trypanosomiasis, sleeping sickness, mm -hmm. and they know every little bit about the life cycle and how it's going to affect it. And they just, when they lecture you, they just ooze enthusiasm about their their lecture. They, they might be a bit dry in talking, but they just love their 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 disease, their infection. It it definitely comes out in their their, their passion. Their their passion comes out, and uh, Claire Rogers with the lab is is a. <laughs> prime example the absolute passion she has for her work is, is you can see that easily and she's his lasting impression in my experience with that that was fantastic so the dtn was originally aimed for bachelor's degree nurses what made you decide to accept paramedics and and how is that for you so you might i've been doing it as i say for 25 years or more so the difference when we started, paramedics didn't have to have a degree at all. And in fact, I don't know about in, in Germany, well, I know 
instill in many countries, they just scoop and run, aren't they, to the hospital. A lot Some of them countries, are. they're part of the fire brigade and think, or the police force. But nowadays in Britain and in many other definitely America, it's been for a long time, they have degrees, they're highly qualified in doing advanced first aid, as I'm going to call, call it. And so I know in the field, in a war zone in particular, but any time, refugees, um, earthquakes, um, the, they are better, I shouldn't say this, but they're better than nurses because they're used to working on the ground without running water, without electricity. They're mm. used to improvising. So it was it was a very easy step for me to realise that they also needed a lot of detailed information about the different diseases and infections. And um, and they and yeah, it's it wasn't difficult for me to decide that as long as they've got a degree, yes, we must take in paramedics as well. Paramedics is actually the way forward in a lot of, to become a paramedic in a lot of healthcare situations nowadays. In Britain, in doctor surgeries, well, I know some who've been in, who work in hospices even because they can assess the situations a lot easier. Um, so uh, it is equally, if equally qualified as nurses. And when they go on to, uh, to do masters and PhDs, hey, you know, they're doctors. They get a doctorate, they get master's degrees. They are polyvalent in many, many ways. They are. In, in Britain, there's the Masters of Advanced Clinical Practice, where it's a nurse or a paramedic that yeah. they're now equal and they're uh, doing the same program uh, of the mm -hmm. ACP. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they get a good salary as well when they when you get extra. They do indeed. I've seen some dual programs so you can do a get a nursing and a paramedic license from a bachelor's degree program and i'm wondering if that's the way forward to have the best of both worlds absolutely good idea how long is that three years only no that'll be four that'll be four yeah, yeah. australia was the first one to do that and i'm starting to see it elsewhere you nurses have vast experiences that we need as paramedics so yes we're good at pre-hospital but you're good at patient care prolonged patient mm -hmm. care if I had to do it over again, I would have started as a nurse and I'd probably be a better paramedic today if I had done so. But I'm that's sure you're great anyway. <laughs> that's my, so yeah, my passion is to, to give people the option, uh, regardless of, of paramedic or nurse or doctor. And, but yeah, so the DTN has been a profound shift in my, my path, my own life path. And I want to thank you personally as a course director and the one that put this into motion. And I, I guess as an educator, I'm delighted to see what you've done with the DTN. And my question would be, where do you see it in five years? So you've brought it from 1998 to where it is now. And it's such a, obviously the word professional in front of the DTN makes sense because you've made it that good. But where do you see the, the DTN going in five years or 10 years? What would be lovely, because we're online, it would be lovely if we could do a bit more, maybe weak, practical in mm. certain areas. Now, I know Claire Rogers and I agree would love to do maybe a week at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, something in laboratory so that you've got the virtual online when you're studying for the course, but you can also do uh, say five days in London, or it's also possible she teaches also in Gambia and in Moshi. So it could be maybe somewhere there where the alumni of DTN could come and do a week's course. We'd also like to extend the course to doing it, it based in another country, maybe. Mm -hmm. We are moving forward to try and find more LMIC um, 
lecturers who are actually based, because at the moment we do tend to have, for instance, uh, measles, and it's somebody who works in London, he is a consultant, um, but we're looking at finding someone, and we have found somebody actually to do uh, measles, and they work in, I won't say, well, they work in a medical research council uh, in Gambia, and so mm. they'll be doing the lecture next time. So mm. we are looking for people, for lecturers, highly qualified with a little sense of, um, uh, who can teach well, not just not just spurt out, but also empower the, their students. And so I see myself using more and more highly qualified lecturers from around the world, not just from London. That would be brilliant. And, and I would jump at the five-day option in London School and, and probably not just once, maybe have it as a every two years, just as time to come back and Absolutely. redo those skills that I've lost. Now, yeah. And, though, and there's another thing which I would, I, I have actually put forward but for the last three or four years, and that is a master's in tropical nursing. Wow. What would the idea, my idea forward would be that they would do the DTM, so it's starting in September, they would do the DTM one day a week up until March, but also do a master's um, linked to um, infection control or, or um, global health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So they'll be doing two of those courses um, to the end to the next in a year. So it'll be the PDTN and the master's course. Now that's what I would, that's what I've been trying to put forward. Mm. And would the, the master's degree call, be called uh, tropical nursing? So it's a master's in tropical nursing. Yeah, yes. so MTN. All right. I would definitely look at that as an option. Yeah. Mm. Oh yes, it's um, so many people have said they would love to do it, but um, yeah. getting that up and running has not been that easy. And of course, with COVID, everything's stuck. Yeah, the the amount of work to get a master's up and running is, uh, we've got two of them now, and ah, it it's <laughs> three or four years of just living hell trying to yeah. jump through the hoops. So I, I appreciate what you're going through on that one. So Claire, we have we have paramedics, docs, nurses physiotherapy, we have tons of people who listen to this in, in all seven continents. So one of our graduates is currently in the Antarctica, Steve Nacy is down there. But my last question for you is what, what advice do you have for all these people who are passionate about austere medicine and tropical nursing? Well, my advice is to keep, keep on training, to keep on educating yourself. Um, we have, for the I'm, I'm not seeking extra students because I have a waiting list already. But if they have not done tropical nursing, it is a, a way of increasing your knowledge and giving you, um, extending your mind in, in how you work in resource poor areas. The, the lectures on infectious diseases are really quite detailed and that will help you understand more clearly about the infection and coupled with the virtual laboratory again um, although the majority of students who do our course don't use the laboratory it does help enhance the learning process of in individual infections definitely and, and diagnosis of malarias and um, helmets and things like that uh, i think i you just have to be the change you wish to see that's mm -hmm. what i say and keep keep education we take we'll take um allied medical professionals so if they are physiotherapists and they are working in an 
LMIC country, um, we would accept them, depending on... I tell you one thing is, the applications are very badly written. Some people... <laughs> I mean, please give me um, details. Normally, when you when you apply, you just throw down all your experience of, of your, your training. But what I need to know, because it's tropical nursing, is where you've been, languages you've learnt, um, challenges you've had, not necessarily whether you can put up a drip or give IV antibiotics or done uh, CPR, uh, which is pretty useless in a resourceful area. But um, so, <laughs> so be careful when you fill in. You don't have to write hundreds, hundreds of words, 200 words or anything, but just give me a, a bit different idea, not just it's your passion to work in LMIC, but how are you going to use it? So are you using that essay, application essay, as the basis for your acceptance? Uh, it's it's not an essay. It's just give, give me a reason why you want to do it. Um, and most people, it's the same, believe, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, boring thing. I've always wanted to work in tropical <laughs> countries. Um, interesting ones are I went to, I was working in such and such a place and realized I didn't know the infection, you know, what was happening. Um, other ones, again, tell me about your languages, what languages you might speak. Um, tell me about where you've worked. Um, some people say, oh, yes, well, I haven't done much. I, I spent about three months in Uganda, but I didn't really do much there. Well, actually, three months in Uganda was a very good grounding. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, so, uh, yeah, I always have to... Uh, people are very reticent about saying about their experiences. Perhaps it's a British thing. I, I think it's true. I think Americans are much better at selling themselves. And uh, maybe too much at the other end of the scale. Yes, 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 yes. too much sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm hesitant to remember what I wrote on that block, uh, but it worked. I don't know what happened, but you accepted me on. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, no, you had, you had um, a lot of experience. Military, people who have been done the military are very good as well, you see. It's not a it's not a negative thing. It's a very positive thing to work in, and ICRC, although they work in in peace about it's about working war zones and it's about Geneva Conventions. If you've been in the military, you can they will they like to have people who've been in the military and understand mm. the other side of war. Yeah, it's a it's a different reality, and and I would like for people to have both sides. Of, of the understanding you don't have to be in the military to understand conflict but you you do i mean claire you were there with bullets flying you were there with i, I can only imagine the risks you took in, in in the last 35 40 years but there is a lot of experience in that regardless of carrying a gun or not and you have so much of my respect for what you've done the the path you've walked in this life and the influence you have and the lives you've changed i really appreciate that Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, it's been my joy. I've enjoyed it. Oh, I've got one other thing to say, and that is when you're looking for work, for instance, at this very moment today, I saw an advert for ICRC who wanted security advisors. Hmm. Now, many of your paramedics who have so much experience that they would be ideal for security Indeed. advisors. So when you're looking for work, don't just look for paramedic or nurse or physio. Think a little bit outside the box and put, don't, I would also say, don't wait for, for an advert. Put yourself forward as adaptable person 
and what might you have available for me? The, the thing is to get past HR. HR, t you have to tick boxes. Hmm. Um, I have, I have, and I've done this myself. Is is arrange an informal interview. So fly over to Geneva on a on a cheap flight for one night. Um, but before that, you arrange, a, can I just have an informal interview with, and you see the head nurse or the head paramedic or the head of medical health division, uh, stay at the youth hostel for the night so it makes it cheap, and fly back the next day. Uh, but you put your foot in the door, you've spoken to the person, you found out they've seen you and what you can do, and they can give you an idea of what sort of post you might be um, adaptable to, to work at. So that is a very good suggestion i hadn't thought about and our, our paramedics who are looking for that first job the first one's tough to get in that's a really good idea to just get face to face so many things are face to face or even if it's virtual on on and personalities and and world outlooks that you can do by by doing this instead of just on a on a piece of paper yeah yeah piece of paper just goes to hr you see and hr you have to tick so many boxes that's true and, and they look at that and say, oh, you're not a nurse, uh, so throw it out in the round bin. But hopefully more and more paramedics will get to do that face-to-face -face interview. Mm -hmm. Claire, thank you for, for your time. And I really appreciate the, the chance to do this interview. It's, it's, yeah. it's a profound honor. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to do it. And you were fantastic students. And since you've come along, I've had three or four other students. I've got three at the moment on my course. And they really add something a little bit extra to the course because of their life experience. So they help teach the other students and they will learn, you know, they, they network between themselves. So please do um, get your paramedics or your physios or um, I've even had veterinaries, a veterinary surgeon on the course. <laughs> who, um, That's great. She didn't want to do the doctor's course. She wanted hmm. to do something. And uh, yeah, it's... So as long as you've got a degree and you're in an allied medical profession and um, you can always, your, your people who know if you want to apply, you can also email me directly and for advice. I'll be careful now how many emails I get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll keep that email close to hand, but uh, if anyone wants it, yeah, we'll. Unfortunately, we'll... it's out there. <laughs> it is. Fair enough. Thank you very much. No, uh, lovely to speak to you, Abrick, and to see how you're getting on. Good luck with everything. You're doing a fantastic job yourself. This has been a presentation from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine Foundation. If you would like to earn CPD credit for this podcast, you can join the Council of Members. Being a member of the college gives you free CPD credits, free access to the virtual field guide, and discounts on our e-learning courses. You can join the team on the college website, which is quorum, C-O-R-O-M, quorum.org.